You're listening to the RUV English podcast. To hear more and for all the news from Iceland in English, just head to ruv.is slash English. Hello, this is Ruv English and I'm Darren Adam. Every week for the last few weeks, we've been taking a look at the history of Icelandic music genre by genre with Lydia Athanasopoulou, who is a music journalist in Sieglifurda. Normally, she's been joining me remotely from that town, but I am in it today, which is fantastic. It's a wonderful place, a very inspiring place and delighted to have Lydia's company and indeed yours once again and I know how excited Lydia is by this episode Uh, we sort of trailed this last week the history of punk in Iceland because you well you certainly were and you still identify I think it's fair to say as a punk don't you I do, I do, and I have done a lot of things uh, within the punk scene, uh, both in Greece, my home country, and also abroad, and I'm also very, very excited about Icelandic punk uh, when I first heard about it over a decade ago, but uh, also today, you know, still being able to look at it and be inspired by it. And indeed listen to it, and we'll do some of that as well over the next 30 minutes or thereabouts. So let's dive in. I guess the story, to an extent, rolls off, overlaps, I should say, with New Wave, which is what we looked at and listened to last week. Yes, that is very true. Always uh, New Wave, post-punk, and, well, New Wave and punk uh, sort of coexist, and then we have the emergence of post-punk. And so we're about the end of the 70s, early 80s in Iceland. Um, So in 1978, the Stranglers came to Iceland, and they were promoting their third uh, album for the English press, And they actually played a show in Iceland to over 5,000 people, which is quite a feat. (laughs) Yeah, so again, we're into a significant percentage of the Icelandic population territory there. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And uh, also, um, we spoke about it on a previous episode as well. In 1982, we have the release of Rock i Reykjavik, the uh, famous documentary uh, sort of tracing the uh, early punk movement in Iceland uh, by Friedrich Thor Friedrichsson. Um, and it, that included interviews, but also uh, full performances by a lot of the bands. So it wasn't just talking heads. It was also being able to listen to a lot of the music and actually see them as well. You know, what Icelandic punks looked like back in the 80s. What did they look like? Well, you know, we talked last week about the stereotype of the punk being one of the Sex Pistols or somebody with a you know, safety pin through their nose or whatever. What did Icelandic punks look like? So they did look very much like punks did around the rest of the world at that time. So like you said, safety pins and mohawks and patches and sort of studded belts and leather yeah. and plaid and everything. And uh, in the documentary Rocky Reykjavik, actually one of the uh, young boys who talks is only about 15 years old. And his nickname is, uh, I think it's Yon Mohawk or something Mohawk. And, um, you know, he, he does quite a good job of summarising mm. what... Being a punk in Iceland was at that time, you know, like a lot of punks around the world, you know, they they were reacting uh, to the Cold War, among other things, but also to growing consumerism. Um, Also, the 80s style of pop music that was much uh, softer and uncritical of any regimes. Um, And we have the same thing here in Iceland. You know, there's Iceland at that time is still quite a poor country. Um, So, you know, this was very much reflected uh, in the documentary and in the music. Okay, where do we start then if we're going to listen to some of this? So we're going to start with Frey Blarnir, um, who are also featured in the documentary. And it's funny because they started out kind of as a joke at the Kopavogur College. 
Um, they, they were originally a cover band, but with Icelandic lyrics, uh, and they did end up writing their own music, and when they did perform their own music, they ended up getting booed off stage, <laughs> um, which, you know, if you're really, if you're a true punk, you should get booed off stage by someone at least once. Um, and in 1979, they were renting out uh, the Kopavogur Cinema to play live gigs, and these were usually happening on Saturdays at 2 p.m., and they were what we call all ages shows. Um, so, you know, lots of young kids coming out uh, and, and seeing all these freaks and weirdos uh, perform this weird, loud, uh, disjointed music. And um, so with Frei Plarner, we have some lineup changes, but eventually uh, you end up with three scary looking 21 year olds and two 14 year olds uh, who actually joined the band after hanging out around the, the garage where the band used to rehearse. In 1980, we have their first LP, which drops after a rather obscure three-song EP uh, from 1979, which came out on a weird, small Sheffield-based label. Uh, if anyone has access to that, please get in touch. <laughs> and um, so uh, Dr. Guni, who we have mentioned before on this show, he uh, was writing uh, in one of his texts about this, this first gig that he went to with Frau Bleirnir and Utgangsmen, uh, the Outsiders, who is fronted by none other than uh, pop-loving Booby Mortens. Their song Bjor, which protests the prohibition of beer in Iceland around that time, uh, also actually features on the excellent TV show uh, Ferbuden, uh, in that famous scene where finally beer is, uh, you know, not prohibited anymore and people are showing up and picking up cases of beer and they're actually playing this song in the background. And it is worth remembering that this refers to that ban on beer which was in existence. I think there are some facts that people have at the back of their mind about Iceland if they've never been. And one of them is that beer was banned until relatively recently. And famously, of course, in Iceland, people used to get around this by mixing the uh, low alcohol beer or the, the lower alcohol beer that was available with vodka. As delicious as it sounds, I'm certain. <laughs> yeah, it is quite delicious if you have access to nothing else. <laughs> well, here is undiluted Bjor. Say a 
Freiblanier and Björ and the, well, let's, let's face it, successful protest song against the ban on beer. I guess it worked, yeah. They yeah. were very happy about it finally being legal in 1989. That's quite late. It is. And, and to that you can add television on Thursdays as well. Uh, okay, where next? So next we go to uh, Utangart's Men, who we have mentioned earlier. This yes. is the band fronted by uh, Bubi Mortens. Who, so Bubi started playing music around 1972, I think it was, uh, with a solo album called uh, Ispjarnar Blues from 1980. Which uh, So at that time he was a travelling worker going from fishing factory to fishing factory, including the famous Reykjavik one uh, Ispjarnar, hence the name of the album. And back then he was inspired by bands like you know Woody Guthrie and Bob Dylan, and he had lyrics about the injustices of Icelandic society, especially around the fishing industry and migrant workers. Um, but then later on he forms uh, Utankartsmen, which means uh, the outsiders, and um, they would uh, end up supporting The Clash when The Clash played in Iceland in 1980. And um, so they formed uh, about 1979, and they were active mainly in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And they only released two albums and two EPs between 1980 and 1981, but they were definitely one of the most popular bands uh, in the country at that time. Uh, he's accompanied by uh, two brothers, the Pollock brothers, who are half American. So perhaps, um, you know, they also brought influences from the US. And uh, then later on, uh, they would form uh, bands like Bodies, Ego, q for You, who we mentioned earlier. Um, but Utankarsmen, uh, it's kind of a mix between punk, reggae and new wave. And, uh, for example, their song Blodith er Röcht is like an Icelandic reggae version of Nice and Sleazy by The Stranglers. I was going to say, before we play this, when you said punk, new wave uh, and, and reggae. reggae, I'm thinking the police at this point. Yeah, that's actually uh, not a bad comparison. Yeah. yeah, that's very true. Let's see. Or here. Smile. 
I think the Stranglers and the police both were sonically represented there. What did we just hear? Utangartsmen with Blothith er Röjt from one of their most popular albums. And of course, that does feature uh, Bubi Mortens, mm. um, who then, you know, was in other bands, including Das Kapital and Ego, and of course, his and, solo work. And is represented in a, a few genres over our series of shows here on Roof English, looking at the history, genre by genre of Icelandic music. This week, punk, where next? So next, we're going to uh, another very popular punk band uh, from Iceland. If if you perhaps only know one band from that time, it might be this one called Their. They were a sort of new wave punk band mm-hmm. from the early 80s, and uh, the group uh, featured future Kukul and Sugar Cubes members. Their first album, Thagar i Hel, was mainly influenced by sort of soft rock, pop, even a little bit of disco music. And um, the aforementioned radio producer and uh, record label owner, uh, Svavar Guests, uh, he agreed to release this record on his label, SK uh, Hljomplutur, and he arranged for them to start recording in the early 80s. Um, a month later, the band goes on a short break mm-hmm. um, with the idea of finishing the, the record later. But in the meantime, New Wave uh, has hit Iceland, and uh, so the band takes a sharp turn in this direction. And uh, Svavar listens to the final results, and he doesn't really like it. But his wife, Ellie Williams, who we also mentioned in a previous episode, because she's one of the famous uh, singers of Iceland from the 50s, she recognises the potential and convinces him to release it. And uh, eventually it did get released in only 500 low-quality copies. Um, There there was some problem with the the vinyl printing was defective. Uh, So only 500 copies come out. And... um, because later on, uh, the studio where they recorded, uh, Tone Taikni, burned down, <laughs> uh, all the masters uh, were, were destroyed uh, up until that time. So any copies of this record are extremely uh, rare and they go for over 200 uh, euros on Discogs. So something else to watch out for at Kulaporti then. Yeah, yeah. indeed, <laughs> if you find that, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, so their later albums are, are distinctly darker. You know, we, we notice they have influences more from Joy Division, David Bowie, Susie and the Banshees, Killing Joke, uh, and the sort of other post-punk bands of that mm. time. And uh, they, they were quite... Um, they were quite controversial, I think, would be the best word, because um, so their shows would often start with them bringing out a coffin on stage with, with the singer Magnus inside. Uh, and at one gig uh, on January 28, 1981, a date that they refer to as the reincarnation of Thayer, uh, they played Hotel Saga and they were offering free haircuts to the audience, <laughs> uh, sort of proclaiming that, you know, this is the end of a hippie era mm-hmm. and we're moving into a new uh, age. And, uh, you know, the singer would dance and jive on stage like a madman. He would stand with his hands extended like a cross in his long black leather coat, sort of staring off into the distance. Later on, they kind of dabbled with mysticism and occultism. Um, you know, the, one of the members, he actually used a device created by a Russian composer called Alexander Skriabin. He, he used a device called the Skriabin, which displayed a 13-tone chord above or below human hearing, and the idea was that the instrument would sound at an ultrasonic level uh, before each concert, thus creating a subtle unity among the audience. <laughs> Did it? <laughs> I, I wish I was there to tell you. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I, yeah, I'm not sure that would be any more persuasive than the idea of getting a punk band to cut my hair. 
Yeah, I think I'd prefer <laughs> to get my hair cut. But the, the guitarist who was interested in these things, Guth yeah. Leugur, and he experimented with sound throughout his career, he, he actually went on to uh, conduct theoretical research in uh, quantum physics and some adop- some subatomic particles and he was an inventor and uh, you know he, he he then developed his own thermoelectric company so you know he definitely went in that direction uh, even after the band um, but as far as the sound goes you know we hear that um, there is a, a turn towards more post-punk goth music and uh, on their first EP they actually also have a song written for Ian Curtis who had just recently died yeah. uh, and the song is called Life Transmissions their second LP has references to North mythology. There's, they've got some musée concrète in there because there's some sounds of of distant bulldozers in the background. I mean, they're doing more than lots of other punk bands are doing with their famous three chords. One hundred percent. They're definitely uh, not only very interested in the 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 ideas behind the music they're playing, but they're also actually actively experimenting with it. And uh, you know, all pretty much all the members of this band then go on to form uh, other bands. And, uh, you know, they they also play um, in the UK alongside Crass and The Fall uh, and uh, the keyboardist from Killing Joke, who was kind of traveling back Mm -hmm. and forth to Iceland at that time. Uh, With almost all members of Thayer, they record uh, with a band they call Iceland, which later they renamed to Niceland. Hmm. Uh, And those recordings remain unpublished. They're just bootlegs. So if someone is looking to release something, that would be a good thing to do. All right, let's hear fair.
Republic by Fair. Let's move on as we examine the history of Icelandic punk. And where are we now in the story, Lydia? So we're at a point where members of bands are either later on forming other bands or have been in other bands you know there's there's an amazing cross pollination yeah. so uh, so members from Thayer then also went on to uh, form uh, Meth Nuktum Kukl Tapitikaras Sugar Cubes so they're either in or will be in these bands um, Thayer for example were also played on the John Peel show uh, you know like uh, Kukl were yeah. also on the John Peel show and members of Kukl were also in a band called Purkur Pilnik, which apparently means sleepy chess player. And they were a rock band from what they called the last <coughs> punk era in Iceland. The band actually only existed for 18 months, between 1981 and 1982. Um, but they were very active during that time, releasing at least two LPs, one live album and two EPs. Um, later on, like I mentioned, they form Kukl uh, and Sugar Cubes. Um, but uh, Purkur Pilnik are clearly one of the most proactive bands in Icelandic music history. They famously write and practice and record uh, a 10-song album in just four hours. Four hours? <laughs> yes. It's almost real time. So they were, their music is rather hard to define, uh, but it is undoubtedly punk. Um, and, you know, one of the uh, writers at that time, he, he's describe them as manic neopunk with jazz and funk influences. And I think that describes it uh, pretty well. Um, also, the singer Einar Örn was the agent for Utan Karsman, who we discussed earlier. And he was also one of the founders of Gram Records, who we've also discussed. Um, and um, in 1981, they released uh, Tilf, uh, which was perhaps one of their most unique releases. It was a 10-song album, uh, but still only on a 7-inch format. So that's 10 songs on a 7-inch. It's very, very fast music. Uh, and on this album, the band's motto um, is, it's not about what you can do, it's about what you actually do. And these words later would become the signature words of the documentary Rock i Reykjavik. Purkur Pilnik also opened for the fall when they played in Iceland in the 90s. They joined them on a UK tour later on. Um, and then in total, uh, they played 63 times in public, wrote 44 songs and released four albums, all in less than a year and a half. Well, that's the punk ethos right there, isn't it? At least in terms of speed. So this is Purkur Pilnik.
Kvarth Get Ye Get, and that is by Podkar Pilnik, one of the many punk bands to have, uh, well, at least left an impression with you, Lydia, it seems. Yes, and that album cover is also very, um, very eye-catching. It's, it's a sort of pale blue with a black and white image of a man holding up a sheep. Um, and then I thought that was an elephant. Oh, no, it is a sheep. Yes, I'm, I'm a bit further away from the screen than you are. <laughs> and uh, given that the name is written in red uh, and you've got the, the image of the white man holding the white sheep and the blue, you know, that also kind of encompasses the three colours of the flag. OK, let's go to, if we're ready to go to another piece of music, uh, Grilumar are next. Yeah, so Grilumar, um, which... Uh, if you are learning a bit of Icelandic, you may know means uh, icicle. Uh, grilla kerti is what the Icelanders call icicles yes. from uh, grilla, uh, grilla candle, basically. And uh, Grillnar were an all-female uh, new wave punk band from Reykjavik, active uh, between 1981 and 1983. Um, and they were one of the very few all-female bands at that time. Uh, we did mention that, of course, there were women involved in the punk scene, uh, if not uh, sort of performing, but uh, involved in other activities as well, uh, uh, because women have always been involved in punk, even though it's not widely documented only until recently. And uh, they have two albums uh, along the lines of kind of like Nina Hagen and Malaria or the Petticoats and other Neue Deutsche Welle bands. Mm. And um, they appear also on the Rock i Reykjavik uh, documentary, um, they at some point they opened for Echo and the Bunnymen, and uh, members of theirs did continue then to do other projects. Uh, the bassist formed a new wave band called uh, Gutelfiskar, which is a pretty decent album, and the keyboardist uh, Raka uh, also had other uh, projects, um, sort of a couple projects uh, before uh, Grillurnar, which is sort of more pop rock, uh, more generic. But then um, also she formed a, a Strax who are uh, pretty rad, uh, sort of dressing up in Mondrian suits and sequins on stage and very catchy 80, 80s new wave music. Um, and then uh, they also helped create the soundtrack for the movie Med Alt Aukreinu by another popular band of that time called Stuthmen.
that song is called CC. Where do we go next? So next we go to another all-female group uh, called Dukuli Surnar, uh, the Paper Dolls. They were from Egilstadir and they did take a cue from Grillurnar. They were inspired by them. Um, and uh, it mentions that, you know, being an all-group uh, band uh, was nothing to build one's future on in 1986. So eventually everyone got serious and enrolled in higher education. So uh, Lissernard weren't around for very long, um, but they were definitely one of the uh, really great bands from that time. And uh, their music is also very, very catchy. And so this next song we're going to play is actually one of my all-time favourite Icelandic songs. Uh, and it's called Pamela. Yeah. 
The song is called Pamela. Did we ever learn which Pamela it was about? Did she ever become famous in her own right for being the subject? It seems unlikely, doesn't it? Uh, I'm not actually sure. We'd have to do a quick translation of the lyrics. Okay, Pamela, if you're listening, get in touch. English at roof dot is. Um, now, I see a word here which I, in my head, translate as recycle bin because von Brigthi was the name of the Sigaros remix album. When we look at that word, von Brigthi, is that the uh, that's the name of the band we're going to hear a piece of music from? Yes, indeed. That is one of the other uh, more famous punk bands from that time in Iceland. Um, and they're also strongly associated with uh, Rocky Reykjavik, as their, their song, O Reykjavik, is the opening song to the documentary. And uh, they performed a lot at that time at parties and on the radio, and uh, they were very much intertwined with punk and new wave. And um, the, the group was mainly from Breidaholtin, and, and the the members at that time were quite young. They were teenagers. They they didn't have driving licenses. And, you know, it was quite difficult to get a hold of instruments and, and practice. And in 1983, uh, they record a record in Hapnafjordur. They recorded seven songs in 25 hours, <laughs> which, again, is pretty <laughs> quite, fast. <laughs> is that, that even beats the last band, I think, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. And um, they, they mainly write their own songs at this point. And uh, Tita is helping with the lyrics. Uh, Tita, who who was sort of um, informally part of the band, uh, mainly uh, writing their lyrics for them. Um, they play a festival called We Demand Future with a whole host of bands at that time, including the British band Crass and the American band Crucifix. Uh, then around the mid-80s, they disappear, and like a lot of the, these bands we've mentioned, they kind of resurface in the early 2000s. Um, so this is, you know, a few decades after all the uh, audience and members have been involved in the punk scene, and there's obviously a little bit of nostalgia going on. Um, so they, they reform again and write a new album um, released in 2004, mainly with old material, and they also play With the Fall again in 2004, um, and later on, uh, in 2010, a German label releases a seven-track record for them containing mainly uh, unreleased material. And uh, I think Dr. Gunni describes it excellently. He says they were furiously excellent.
And that was Von Brigthe. And there's one band that isn't mentioned here, and it wouldn't be because it doesn't sort of fit with the, the chronology, or at least it's not, they're not a band that are contemporaneous with the ones that we've mentioned. But they fascinate me because they were on the cusp of tremendous success, and they gave it all up because they didn't want to pursue it. And they're a pop, I would say, closer to a punk band than a pop band, from Hapnafiather in the 2000s, called Jakobinarina who were six young guys from Hapnafjörður who uh, had a lot of radio play in the UK. They were poised for really big things. And these were guys that were not alive when punk happened the first time round. It wouldn't be for some years. And they fascinate me, as I say, because they were poised to, to have tremendous success and, and, they, and they decided that it just wasn't for them. But, but in terms of punk, they absolutely rediscovered, I suppose, or discovered for the first time that punk sound and, and, and brought it up to something like to date, the interesting story of Jakobinarina, who who could have had it all. Lydia, thank you very much for, for taking us through and uh, taking us into your wheelhouse, which is punk music. Well, it's been, it's been my pleasure. And um, one thing I have to say that we're very lucky about, uh, thankfully, when these bands were active, things were being documented uh, in real time, either, like we said, with the documentary Rocky Reykjavik uh, or by, you know, people like Dr. Gurney um, and also, you know, personal accounts. So we're very lucky that even though 
maybe a few years ago, Icelandic punk was considered a bit obscure. Mm. Um, now it is something that we can learn about. And there's even a punk museum uh, in downtown Reykjavik, uh, famously housed in a public toilet from the 1930s. So it's a very small museum. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a nice yeah. place to visit. Yeah. Um, and at the moment, we still have a lot of uh, active punk bands, uh, mainly in Reykjavik, but also around Iceland. Um, and, you know, maybe in the future, we'll be looking at the current wave uh, of punk bands, uh, including you know bands like Burn, Dave Flynn, Guðir Hins Nýja Tíma, which is actually the song by Toga Deildin we heard um, earlier. So you know it, it, it's still going quite strong, and this is not just in Iceland. All over the world, punk is still going strong. So if anyone thinks that you know punk is dead, they just haven't really been paying attention. Well, next week we're going to focus on the music that is made by a particular instrument. I'm not going to say what the instrument is. But I'm going to say that the house in which we are sitting in Siglifjörður has at least one example of this instrument. How many more? Or just the one. But it's a good one. It's a good example of the instrument that's going to um, feature in the music that we play and look at and listen to next week. Lydia, thanks very much indeed. We'll talk again next week. This is Ruv English and I'm Darren Adam. Get in touch anytime. English at ruv.is You're listening to the Ruv English podcast. To hear more and for all the news from Iceland in English, just head to ruv.is English.